Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. Well, it's an honor today to have a guest with us. His name is J.R. LaRose, played for many years on the BC Lions. Actually won a championship for the BC Lions. Yes. And uh, I think, man, J.R., it's maybe been about 10 years ago since uh, you and I first met. And yeah, I guess that makes us a little bit older than we were 10 years ago. We age well. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, over the years, our paths have crossed on, on various occasions and you know, first of all, it was me and my kids cheering for you on the football field. And now, honestly, it is in many ways me cheering for you more in your second career and what you're doing to advocate for people. And uh, I just thought it would be an amazing thing. I was grateful that you could work it out in your schedule to be here with us today and talk uh, a little bit about your personal experiences with race and injustice and some of the intrinsic systematic problems that still exist in the nation of Canada. And also just to kind of give a platform for the, the people you speak for and that you interact with all the time that I think our hearts need to be more endeared to and more aware of. And so I wonder if you could, just even as we begin, you come from two different cultures, born in Canada. What was your experience or what has it been with racism growing up in Canada? You know, it's something that it goes straight back to like I'm for, I'm half Nigerian and I'm half I'm half Cree. Um you know, unfortunately, I, I, you know, I grew up not knowing my father. So um, I grew up really knowing um, the indigenous side. And you know, I've dealt with racism from, from you know, being called the N-word, stuff like that growing mm-hmm. up. But I think it's, um, it really stems back to having to deal with the, the, the aftermath of the things that my mom had gone through. We talk about right. uh, the residential school, yeah. um, which was a huge piece that is now finally, you know, gaining more more attention um with 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 the government acknowledgments and but it's something that you know people were were absolutely crushed my mom was part of the residential school since she was a young kid and so for people that don't know or understand what the residential yeah. school was is that you know indigenous youth kids were taken from taken from the reserves from their families and placed in in these residential schools you know so if it's in the nearest town where, wherever it may be my mom was uh Come, we come from a reserve, one of First Nations, Saskatchewan, and, and she was placed in the nearest school, which was Duck Lake, which might have been 20 minutes away from her home community. Wow. But at that young age, you know, taking, imagine that being taken away from your community right. and being raised by, by nuns, nuns and priests. Um, and so it was the hardships that my mom faced. I remember, I remember being in Edmonton. I was raised in Edmonton, but I remember sitting through my mom and, and they were going through, um, they had to go talk to adjudicator. I mean, they released funds for, for people that had been affected by it. And my mom asked me to come. Yeah. And my mom had never, my mom was a very proud woman, but she had never, ever spoke about the residential school, the things that had happened to her. And I'll never forget. Uh, in all your years growing up. In all the years growing up, my wow. mom would refuse to talk about it. Wow. Would refuse. It was just something that she didn't want to talk about. And I remember sitting in that room with my mom and the adjudicator was across the table and asking my mom questions. And it was the first time in my life that I had seen my mom almost turn into a young child. Wow. You know, it, it absolutely, like, it just it broke me and crushed me. And to, and to hear the things, like, my mom tells a story of her going to the, first being in the residential school, and my mom spoke her language, Cree language fluently. Yeah. And she would talk about getting slapped. She's, she's telling a story. She gets slapped in the mouth, you know, for, for speaking her native language. And then... Wow. Uh, my mom also had a medical condition 
And what that condition was, was my mom was not able to control her bladder. So there'd be many nights that my mom would end up wetting the bed. And, and what the nuns would do is they place my mom in the middle of the room and they'd place the sheet over her head that, that she had peed on. To be made an example of in front of all the other little, in front of all the other little girls. Wow. And then the, one of the hardest things to hear was my mom was probably about 11, 11 or 12 years old. And she tells a story of, of uh, being raped, you know, by, by the priest. And to, to see my mom, you know, like that, just like a child, like I have kids and when, when they're really hurt, you yeah. know, to, I, I, I was looking at, it's almost like I see my kids in my, in my mom to see her just quivering and shaking like that to, to share those experiences. And I can now understand why she didn't want to talk about yeah. it. And so when we talk about racism, especially towards, um, indigenous people, people need to have an understanding of, of where, a lot of these people are coming from. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's from generations, and and it's so important, you know, to, to for it to be recognized that you know, well, you know, people obviously say, well, it's so easy, like that happened in the past, like get right. over it. This is now 2020. We need to move forward. But I think in order to to move past that, we we need to acknowledge that. And so for my mom, you know, this happened by the church, the Catholic Church. Right. You know, the government right. was responsible implementing these these laws, but they they, had, they were forced. You know, the whole... So for those maybe who are new to Canada and are watching, residential schools, it was not optional. And no. it was like a government mandated in partnership with different organizations, yeah. mostly, mostly faith-based or all yeah. faith-based. And kids were taken out of their community. And it, it's not like attending a school. It's like living at a boarding school yeah. and being raised. Yeah. And, and Not allowed to go home. And the last residential school... Closed in 1996, yeah. I want to say. Yeah, it was. Yeah, 1996. So I, I, we have this recency bias, I think, so often uh, on all sorts of social issues where we say, well, we've moved past that. Yeah. We're past it. We're talking a generation ago. There was yeah. people in this system. So for your mom, grew up through that. Uh, by the time you were coming through school, you were no longer within that requirement. It, it was in the midst of reform. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so I mean, thank God I wasn't I wasn't part of that. But to think of to now understand, like my mom was a drug addict. Like I was born into a home where my mother was a full blown drug addict. You know, I grew up not knowing my dad. My dad got deported back to Nigeria uh, while my mother was pregnant. So I know nothing of my dad. But to understand now, wow. like I'd never held any ill will towards my mom growing up, but I was able to truly understand why she did the things she did. And I'm not making any excuses. You know, my mother was far from perfect. She did her very best. Yeah. But you talk about who is she going to talk to? Right. You know, who is she going to trust? Right. You look at the, the, the programs that are out there. You, you talk about the counselors, whatever. The majority Man. of it's are, are, are white people. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying all white people are bad by no means. This is what I'm trying to get across. But at that time, my mom was hurt the most yeah. by, by people and by the church, yeah. you know, by the, by the Catholic church. And so she didn't know who she could talk to or, or who she could trust. So now what I tell people is you got to learn to or have an understanding Try and walk a mile in these people's shoes. Yep. It's so easy for us to see a homeless person and, and think like, oh, why don't they get better? Hmm. You know, we, we, we're close to Hastings here, Hastings right. Street right here, right? And it's, I tell people all the time, you know, that person didn't choose to have that life. Right. You know, it's, a, it's we all have a story. And, and for my mom, it was, it was that hurt, but it, I'll never forget, you know, my mom um, started attending a church that I went to yeah. probably when I was about 12 or 13 years old. And, you know, she gave her heart to the Lord wow. and, and she had almost, 
it was it was like a new woman. She had still struggled with her addictions, wow. but it almost gave my mom hope again. Yep. And that's one thing wow. that I'll that I'll that I'll never forget. And before my mom, my mom passed away back in 2011 because of all the hard drugs that she had done. But before that, the last two years of her life, she she cleaned up her life, and it was just like a new person. Wow, you know. And I have two boys, but to see my mom on her hands and knees playing with with my kids, that was something that was absolutely remarkable because I didn't have those experiences right. growing up. Right. You know, it was uh, my mom would would leave me at different babysitters' places as she would go on her weekend binges, and um, you talk about the effects of that is. You know, my mom didn't know how to parent. Right. You know, I talked about it earlier. She tried, she, you know, she did her very best, but I was a kid, you know, being dropped off at babysitters and, and, and ended up being sexually abused. So it's, it's a trickle down effect where it's almost, it becomes a vicious cycle. Yep. And a g- generational curse. And so it's so imperative and important that people have an understanding of, of where these people truly come from, wow. you know, and the hardships. Yeah. You know, it's, it's growing up in school. I didn't know nothing about the residential school. You know, I wasn't right. I remember being taught this. It's just now finally yes. being like implemented. In the last two years, I think. Yeah, right? yeah, right. it's recent. Yeah, you know, uh, I remember my son did a um, he did a speech. You know, something that I'm so proud of. My youngest son did a speech in front of his whole school, um, talking about the residential school and and the effects that it had wow. on his cookum. So cookum means grandma in, in in the Cree language. And I was so proud of my son. Wow. You know, to see him stand up and be yeah. proud. That was. Um, you know, that's something that that's so special to me because at the end of the day, I'm trying to raise two young boys, yeah. you know, to know what it is to be a man and to to stand and believe, you know, in, in something when they see wrong to to speak up and do something, to use their voice, use their yeah. platform. Yeah. You know, I think true change starts comes from within within home, what they're being taught at home. Yeah. So, I mean, that's I, I was going to ask you the question as a dad raising two boys. What are some of the things that you are intentionally instilling in them now? I mean, you clearly spoke to yeah. one of them. I, for me, it's you're try- preparing them to be part of a solution. It's it's, it's really trying to model it at at home, yeah. you know. And I think the language, the first thing is the language that we use yeah. is is huge. We talk about the jokes, and maybe it's if it's the hmm. it could be the racist comments, not necessarily racist comments, but the, the jokes, the racial jokes, whatever it may yeah. be. Um, I think when kids now see that, they think, oh, dad's okay with this, telling this joke, or mom's okay right. with telling this joke. Well, I'm okay because I want to be like my dad. I want to right. be like my mom. If they're okay, you know, yeah. they're that authoritative piece at home. Right. And so it starts off, majority of it starts off with language. And I tell people this all the time. The things that we model behind closed doors almost become a product of what our kids are going to get out and speak. And it's wow. not true for all instances, but it it's one of those things that, that truly does um, happen. And so for me, it's it's also having... So both my kids are, you know, they're fair skinned, light, yep. light skinned kids, lighter than me. And it's getting them to understand, like, they will never have to face the same things that I go through. Right. And a prime example, we were going to football practice just in, I can't remember what, we're going, we have a travel football team that we do in the springtime. And so we're driving to football practice. I had my son and one of his other friends and we got pulled over. Right. We're driving, we're driving, we're driving down the street and um, got pulled over for no reason. And the officer comes up, walks up to me, and uh, walks up to the door and asks for my license registration. And, you know, I hand it over. And I asked, I said, well, why, why did you pull me over? What's the reasoning for, for pulling me over? And he's like, oh, you fitted this, uh, the description. Wow. So I'm like, okay, whatever. It's not the first time that this has happened to me. It's happened multiple times. And then he, then he asks, his next question is, do you have any weapons in the vehicle? And there are me and my, and my son and his, and his other friend. And I, I just kind of smirked and I was like, no, I don't have any weapons. He said, I'm going to ask you again, sir. Do you have any weapons in the vehicle? Wow. 
And so, I mean, it's not as yeah. crazy in, in, as it is in the <clears throat> States with you know, what police brutality. I mean, it is. We've seen just actually not that long ago, a chief in, in Fort uh, McMurray. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. brutally beaten, yeah. you know, by the police. And, and you hear other stories of this as well. So, I, yeah, I shouldn't say it's not as bad as it is in the States because it happens. But, you know, at that point, I knew I was like, I felt confident that, you know, nothing was bad was going to happen. And maybe yeah. I shouldn't have reacted the way I did. But, you know, I kind of threw some attitude at it because I didn't have any. I was, we were just trying to go to football practice. Right. You know, right. I was, I handed him my license register. I just asked the question while I got pulled over. So I fit a description. But my son was like, I looked over. My son was, was, was scared, you know, right. of course. was like, like, dad, why, how, like, why would you even say that to him? And then it was following up that, but the conversation is like, you will never understand the things that, that I go through that many other people right. of color yeah. are, are faced with, yeah. you know, it's, I can remember going to a mall and having having a secret um, shoppers following me. Right. You know, and it, it, it's crazy to think that you know it's twenty twenty, but we still live in a world like this. Like even today, like I going in certain things, I find myself going out of my way to be extra friendly right. to make other people feel comfortable. Right. And so now it's it's trying to explain that to my to my two kids who are sixteen and fourteen now that p- people of color are still faced with these issues on a day-to-day basis. Right. And so it's having a, um, you know, a better understanding and, and, and acknowledging that racism exists. Yeah. It's prevalent. Like, it happens. Yeah. You know, here in Canada, all over the world. Yeah. You know, racism exists. And people are affected by it on a daily basis. So for me, it's, it's having my two kids have an understanding of, of racism and what it looks like. Yeah. But then also things that they can do to to help you know when they're in a situation maybe with some friends making making a racist comment or something right. being able to educate people right you know it's it's easy as this is you know god god's working on me to this day you know it says turn the other cheek and it's something that <laughs> you know I, I have got to work on because i play professional football so you yeah. know uh, by nature i'm an aggressive person right uh, but that's you know it's controlled violence on the football field but off the field it's you know, you don't want to fight ignorance with um, with violence. Right. It's important that we now educate. And so you look at the people that are protesting in the States, even here in Canada, it's well, what can we do to really make a change and make a difference? Well, we need to be able to educate. Hmm. We have a platform where people are listening to us now. Right. You know, I, I get there's people looting, doing all this. I can't, I don't even want to speak on that part of it. Um, because I think there's so many people that just jump on the bandwagon as well, right. but really aren't totally. fighting, totally. you know, for 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 the for for the injustice, you know, it's they're just jumping on that bandwagon to be part of something, and that's it. It's like that mob mentality, yeah, where it's like we need to truly educate educate people. How do we do that? Well, we look at now the schools are now educating people right. in classes, and you know, I think other people. It's important. It's important that other people learn to, like I said earlier, walk a mile in, in these people's. Footsteps, not necessarily walk them out, but have an understanding right. of the history. You know, there was just a, um, a statue that was taken down or, or, or covered yep. in paint. Just, I don't know how, where, it's downtown somewhere, but yep. I just seen it, um, a week ago and people were, 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 were throwing paint, but that's, we're educating people on what happened. I had no idea. Right. I had no idea until I'd seen it. I was scrolling on Facebook and I seen the post. Someone made the post about it and it was almost like, wow. I'm not about vandalizing, but I was like, that person needs to be removed. That right. statue needs to be removed. Well, I think you, you speak to something so interesting because you're saying your mom was in a residential school. You grew up in 
in re- in reserve, right? No, I was or, raised or in Edmonton. Okay, I was raised, raised in Edmonton. Edmonton yeah. yeah, but very connected to yeah. her roots. Yep. Yeah. In school, not learning about it, though no. it was a big piece of your personal huge. history and a huge part of your yeah. entire nation's history. Yeah. And then, like I, I can sometimes feel like, how did I not learn this? And you're going like, well, I didn't either. Yeah. And that's part of the the problem when we talk about it being systemic, is it's not like when someone's ignorant, it's not necessarily that there's chosen ignorance. It's systematic ignorance. But as we become aware, we need to now take ownership yes. to, to educate ourselves. We can't sit back and say, well, I didn't know. Yeah. There's a thing called the internet now. You can kind of learn some stuff, you know, and you can dig in. And I think that has to be and has become, even over these last number of weeks, a real pursuit for people. And yeah. I think that that's a, a positive step forward. You said, you know, you mentioned being about 12 years old, your mom coming to the church you went to. Yep. Uh, I've always wondered, like, what does that faith piece for you, how did that inform your response to the injustices you see around you, like coming into relationship with God and a lot of the work you do now really is stemmed from that. How has that informed your response? I think, um, as as we're talking yesterday, and, and one of the verses that that came to mind was was Isaiah one seventeen, and is to 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 seek justice. Hmm. Um, I believe I, think, I don't know if it's the rest of it, but of of the oppressed or something yeah. like that, of people that are of the oppressed. And so it's like for us, it's like we need to seek justice, and we see that now happening yeah. with 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 people prote- protesting and and and, and, and educating. Yeah. Um, that's that's the biggest thing is to seek the injustice is to seek justice. And for me. It's a big component is, like I said earlier, is, is being able to forgive. Hmm. You know, I think true healing starts with being able to forgive. I'll never forget, you know, for me, um, for the church was a big part of my life, you know, growing, growing up. I was taken in by a family, um, when I was probably 13, 14, lived with them for, for a year till I was almost 18 years old. And that's where I truly, you know, I, I had given my heart to the Lord, but faith, was was a huge component for me right. growing up, and it wasn't until I was able to learn to to forgive. You know, I even talk about you know being sexually abused. It's I've never been to counseling, but being able to forgive. It's for me. It's wow. knowing my heavenly Father will never leave me nor forsake me. You know, and I, and I struggled with that growing up. Right. You know, because I didn't have a dad. Right. You know, but my the true peace comes to knowing that 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 God's got my back. Right. And so you know, moving forward, it's. It's just showing love to people, being able to forgive the people that, that have hurt us yeah. in the past. Because if we're not able to forgive, we carry that hurt and burden. Wow. You know, and that just fuels the anger. Yeah. And it's like, I, I'm not going to allow the residential school to, to really play a huge role in how I live my life for a negative. I'm going to flip that and use it for a positive. Wow. You know, for me, it's all about breaking the cycle for my kids. Yeah. You know, my kids will always know who their dad is. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to say I'm not a, you know, I'm not a drug addict. I'm, I'm breaking that cycle. The cycle ends here. Right. You know, with me, my mom did, did her best. Yeah. You know, um, to, to raise myself and, and my sister on her own. But, um, for me, faith was a wow. huge, you know, huge, huge part of my life. And then, you know, and it still is. It's kind of cool because your, your, your sons know a little more about your mom than you did at their age. Yeah. Like the system she came from, the brokenness that she came from. You were mentioning even before we went on camera 
that it was like 6,000 yeah. kids died in yeah. residential schools. It was reported that it was 3,200 that had died, but they figured researchers, researchers now figured that num- the number to be closer to 6,000. Wow. You know, could you imagine that being, having your kids taken from you? You have, how many kids? You have six, seven. Seven yeah. kids. Yeah. And being taken from your home and being raised by somebody else, you know, by strangers, complete strangers, yeah. where there's no, the only interaction or affection that they're getting, they're not getting hugged. No. You know, they're not being told that they're, you know, they're loved. And from, from whether they're, whether it's from kindergarten up until, you know, they graduate, they're in this, they've been now be, been institutionalized yeah. where they now become desensitized and hardened. And we look at so many, you hear horror stories of people being abused yeah. in these residential schools, you know, physically, emotionally. Um, and now they're being sent into the real world. Right. How do you adjust? Right. It's like prison. Right. When you think about it, you know, it's, and we were just talking about the pandemic here. There's how many people that died here in, 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 in BC? 168. 168. Yeah. And we're talking about 6,000. Wow. And the indigenous population, I think, makes up, I think it's close to like 4% wow. of the population here. And, and we've had 6,000 that, that, yeah. that died in that span. I can, I mean, just the compounded grief. Yeah. Of, uh, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't say a people group. It's a series of nations, obviously. Yeah. That are connected, but distinct. But to just say, like, there's 6,000 funerals that never really happened properly, backstories to which never really were able to be experienced, parents, grandparents, yeah. siblings. It, I mean, the ripple effect is incredible. And, and you think of the kids that, you know, my heart breaks is the kids that tried to flee. Right. And, and, and died trying to go back home. You know, that, 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 that breaks my heart even thinking about it. Like, I couldn't even imagine my kids being put in a situation where they basically fear for their life. Yeah. They, there is no hope. The only hope for them is to try and flee and run. Right. And, you know, you hear horror stories of people, you know, freezing to death, trying to leave the, the school in the winter, you know, and, and being out in the middle of, in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's tragic, but it needs to be talked about, which I think, you know, um, we are moving in the right, right. direction, but it goes back to that piece of having an understanding of the history right. of, of indigenous people and not just indigenous people, but there's so many different races, yeah. you know, and, and so many, there's people are impacted by different things coming from, and that's what I love about Canada, you know, is that we're such a diverse country, you right. know, where we have people from, you know, from, from all over the world True. coming, yeah. you know, we have people that have been in terrible situations, you know, in, in all over the world, right. fleeing their situation to come to Canada. And it's important that we as a nation understand, have an understanding of, of what they've come from. Right. You know, and that's where true healing and that's how we, uh, move, move forward. Right. Let me ask you this. You, you travel extensively now to reservations all across the nation yeah. and, uh, speak to indigenous youth and speak into, you know, the communities. Um, I would imagine that you have a perspective that is pretty thorough on like seeing the needs, the issues, the concerns, the heart behind uh, this division, this brokenness. What would be, do you think, like the core of the message that the other 96% of the population just simply isn't hearing? I think it's, I think they're doing a, I like to say people are doing a good job of, of hearing the message. Yeah. But far too often, a lot of people want to, um, have a quick fix. Right. You know, they have a solution. Right. They're, they're, they're coming up with things. Gotcha. Shut up and listen. That's the biggest thing. You know, a lot of people just want to be heard. Right. 
you know, you, you look at what's going on in the States. People want to be hurt. Right. You know, the, the, this has been going on for far too long. The police brutality, the racism, you name it. It's, that's one thing I've learned with the work that I've, that I've done mm-hmm. is, is just letting people talk and listen to them. They right. want to have their voices heard. Don't just throw money at something. Right. You know, that's what the government has done with indigenous people, you know, the residential school. You know, it's, let's, let's move them to a remote location and then we'll just throw money at them and right. everything should be fine. No, 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 no. Let's listen. Let's listen to their stories, their pain. Right. You know, their adversity, things that they had to overcome. And it's okay. Now, how can we work together? Wow. To understand. Yeah. And, 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 and move forward. Yeah. You know, that's, that's my thought. Yeah. On that. Let me ask you this. Do you feel, uh, hopeful when you look at the future and you see, you know, you've been involved in, in this pursuit. I know you advocate for many different people groups. Do you feel hopeful for where we're going? Do you feel, uh, nervous about where we're going? What's kind of the general feel that you have? No, I definitely feel, I feel hopeful. Because we're starting now to have these conversations. Right. You know, when we were kids, we weren't having these type of conversations. Like, this wasn't even in our school system. Yeah. You know, I was telling my kids about the whole George Floyd situation. I said, this is going to be taught in schools. Yeah. We are now part yes. of, you know, part of history. Yeah. And that's the only way we move forward. Right. Is, is by educating. Yeah. You know, other people that, and people have to stop being so ignorant. Right. You know, to, to, to the saying, that's what drives me nuts all the time when people are like, you got to be able to move past it. Stop being a victim. Hmm. Have first off, have an understanding of where we come from, right? You know, so. But I am, I am hopeful because we are talking. There's way more conversations right. happening. Yeah, I feel like we could have paused there and just built on that that victim piece. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's such a uh, a put down to say. Here's the solution. I figured it out. Yeah, stop being a victim. Yeah, there, solved. I mean, it's like this terrible you know, human, you know, inhumane response to things. It, it really is. And it's something that when we look about it, it's, we, we talk about having that victim mentality. Um, I, I tell people, yeah. you know, not to have that victim mentality as, as well. It's, it's one of those things where, um, for me, yeah, it's acknowledging the hurt that has come. Yeah, yeah. I understand. You know, my, my family has struggled with addictions. Majority of my family, you right. know, my mom and sister died because of their addictions. Their body just started to shut down. Um, right. But I'm not going to be, I'm not going to allow that that hurt and pain that happened to my family yeah. dictate how I'm going to move forward and live my right. life. It's a choice. We all have the power yeah. of choice. That's the end, the end result. You know, I tell yeah. people all the time, you don't become a product of your environment. You become a product of your choices and we all have that right. choice. And so how do I now use that is, well, I refuse to be, to have that victim mentality and yeah. being like, well, the government's just going to give money. This is this, you know, I'm not going to blame other people. Yeah. You know, I'll acknowledge that hurt came from other people. Yeah. But it's like, okay, well, how do I move forward? Yeah. It's, man. It's it, it comes down to moving forward is breaking that cycle yeah. at the end of the day. Right. So it's amazing, man. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, I, thank you. My, the question I ask about hope is not so we can pat ourselves on the back and say, "Hey, I'm hopeful." Jr. is hopeful. We're, I, I think it's truly this: change doesn't come because of hype. Change comes because of hope, and hope mm. is an evidence of what we don't yet see. So I also feel hopeful. Not because I see, oh, the light's at the end of the tunnel. We're almost there. But hopefully the very same thing you're saying is that we're beginning to talk. Mm-hmm. And as we talk and understand and get clearer vision of where someone's come from, I think collectively we have an opportunity to see where we're trying to go as well. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, don't hear that as, oh, we were just 
putting a spin that it's all hopeful. There is a lot of work to be done, but that work will not be fueled by hype. It'll be fueled by people of hope saying there is a better conclusion to this story that like unity is worth the fight. Yeah. Yeah. I love you, man. Thanks so much for being here. Would you mind just praying for us real quick? It'd be amazing. Justin, please. I knew that. <laughs> right on the spot. I was thinking that. I was like, Justin, can you do it for me, my man? Please. Yeah. <laughs> please. I, <laughs> I was talking about this moment. I said, oh, he's going to ask me to pray. I know. I know it. I know it. Uh, yeah, sure. Let's um, pray. We'll do it. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Heavenly Father. God, we just come to you right now. Yes, God. Um, and, I, and I pray that you you just bring a peace, a mm. peace and, and, and an understanding yes, of, of the situations that, that, that are taking place, uh, Heavenly Father, God, that we're able to to be a light mm. through through this yes, dark God. times, and and I pray that people open open their hearts and open their yeah. mind to have an understanding mm. of of truly what is what is taking place, but how we can come together as a nation yes, and, and 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 move forward. So I just thank you, Heavenly Father, for um, for for protecting us and the people that are out there um, using their platform, mm. um, and just thank you for being a loving and amazing and forgiving God. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.